Thank you. So you guys have sent teams down to Portland to work with us on the streets, and at one point you invited me up to a men's retreat. We had south of here, somewhere up in the hills. Um, this is my first time actually in Pullman, and I'm kind of excited about it, so thank you for inviting me. Uh, and by the way, um, monks stay in the abbey, so technically I'd be a friar, the ones that go out of the streets. Uh, but it all works, it's all Brother Bruce. So a little something I say before every time I speak, Lord Jesus Christ, may the words of my mouth, the thoughts of my mind, and the desires of my heart be all to the glory of your name. Amen. So there's going to be a slideshow going on behind me, something to distract you, especially if I'm not worth listening to. That's okay. Um, and a lot of the Bible verses will be up there. There are more than 200 verses, Old Testament and New Testament, specifically about how we are to work with the poor. There are hundreds of others that are more general, but there's more than 200 specific commands about widows and orphans and poor and the strangers in the land and the hungry and so on. Some of them will flash up. Uh, the rest of the slides are pictures of my friends. Every, every group that works uh, on the streets has a word for who they work with. Sometimes it's clients, sometimes it's customers, sometimes it's the homeless. For us, it's our friends who live outdoors. So I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories about our friends who live outdoors. And before I do, I need to put two things on the table. The first one is, if you hear me and you think I'm bragging about myself, everything that happens in downtown Portland with HomePDX is by the power of God. I could not do this on my own. I don't have the emotional strength. I don't have the social intelligence. I don't even have the physical stamina without God to empower us and help us to embody what he's doing already on the streets of Portland. The second thing I will tell you, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories. Some will have names, some won't. As a pastor, people can come to me and they can confess things, and that's in total confidence. We can do pastoral counseling, and that's in total confidence. So every story you hear today, I have permission to tell. I have lots of other stories I'd love to tell, and some of them I might be eventually be able to, and some of them I'll never be able to, because I, I hold that confidence very strictly. So every story you hear today is with permission, and or it's already out in the public domain via the news or whatever. So that's where we're going to go. So what does HomePDX do? In many ways, HomePDX is what happens if you pray this prayer right here. Before you ask, Lord, my answer is yes. I came to a place in my life where I said, okay, God, every time I hear your voice and I recognize it's your voice, the answer is yes. It's a very dangerous place to go. So let me tell you about some of the places where that went. What do we do as HomePDX? Among other things, we hand out a lot of food. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, shelter, water, if you don't take care of those, you're not going to have spiritual conversations. So we hand out a lot of food. We have a Sunday gathering, lunchtime, which I'm missing today. It's our biggest gathering of the week. We hand out burritos in the park on Tuesday night. We take 1,000 pounds of food out to the camps every Wednesday. We walk the streets with coffee and hot chocolate early Wednesday morning. And on Thursdays, we load up the bike trailers with whatever's left over from the week, and we bike out to people a little farther from downtown and get them some food. So we hand out a lot of food. As we're handing out food, as we're talking with people, we ask them what else they need. In downtown Portland, we got these Benson bubblers, these water fountains that are everywhere. But we quickly found out as we did the bike run and the camp run that if you're out of downtown, you need, people need water. There's, there's some of our friends that are out in camps, faraway camps, there's no water, which is funny. Portland, Oregon, there's water, right? No, not for drinking necessarily. So we, we take out a lot of water. Food, water. 
as we go out and talk to people, we meet perfect strangers. We've never met them before, they've never met us before. What's our goal as we meet a stranger on the streets? We want to invite them in. Hey, are you hungry? We've got some stuff here. Or better yet, come join us on Sunday. Hot lunch, awesome. Come and join us. Come be part of a community. Come on in. We have a clothing closet. It's not one of those huge, like everyone come down and pick some clothing, clothing closets. It's for uh, emergencies and it's for the people who come and take showers. So if you, want to, if you take a shower, you don't really want to put your old clothes back on, right? You'd much rather have some new clothes, we do that. And sometimes we are literally clothing the naked. We had a guy a couple months ago who uh, just came out of the hospital. I don't know what he looked like when he went into the hospital, but the hospital decided his clothes weren't wearable anymore. So he came to us in one of those green gowns that the techs wear in the hospital. No shoes, no socks, no coat, but at least he had a green gown on. Because we have a clothing closet, take him down, let him get some clothes. Something besides that green outfit. So we do clothing. As I'm talking with people on the streets, I run into people who are sick or injured. More often injured, by the way. If part of your weekly routine is you get so hungry that you're looking inside garbage cans for leftovers that were thrown away, you've got a pretty good constitution. Uh, among my friends, I hardly ever have anyone who's got uh, the flu or some kind of gut problem. They're, they're, they've got these iron guts. But colds become bronchitis, become pneumonia. I've taken people to the hospital with pneumonia before. Uh, I had some of my friends when COVID first hit, they're laughing like, ah, no virus can get me. I remember driving you to the hospital just last winter with pneumonia, which is a virus. Uh, <laughs> so we, we run into people who are sick and as much as we can, that's a good picture for where I am right now. As much as we can, I have a first aid kit with me. You're an adult, here's the first aid kit. Oh, you want me to do that? Okay, I guess I can, I can do that. Um, but my most common medical advice to people is, oh yeah, that looks pretty bad. You need to see a doctor. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse. So I take people to the hospital. And when I take them to the hospital, I have two goals. Number one, I wanna advocate for them. They get better treatment when they have someone advocating for them. And also I get to do some translation because the doctor says, doctor speak, and I say, that means while you're in your camp, keep that thing as clean as you can. So I do some translation. I also have to turn in the other direction, and most of my outdoor friends don't like hospitals, and their gut reaction is, get me out of here. We can stay a little bit longer. Let's hear what he has to say. He's a professional. She knows what she's talking about. You know, whatever. Get them to stay. Get them to get some medical attention. So I work both directions. So the first story, I've got a bunch of stories. Um, this is now my best medical story. It happened in just last November. And I have full permission to share it so you get to know a name. Max is a 20-something, he's in his later 20s. Uh, to look at him, you'd think he was a teenager. Very quiet, very unimposing. He keeps saying things like, I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I was already working with Max because he's having some kidney problems. He had a tube coming out of his back into a bag, like those kinds of kidney problems. I learned the term, it's a nephrostomy bag that won't be on a quiz, don't worry. So I'm already working with him and I showed up at his camp first Monday of November and it was immediately clear something was wrong. He was in so much pain he couldn't even sit up from his sleeping bag. He was just laying on top of his sleeping bag. I said, how long has this been happening? Well, 
kind of crying out for help all night, but with the rainstorm, I don't know if anyone heard me. I know no one came and helped me. Well, what are you experiencing? Well, you know, pain, this, that. And usually I let my friends be adults and I can make me give them advice, but I don't tell them what to do. But Max, I said, Max, I'm coming back with my car. You're going to the ER. Got him in my car, got him to the ER. He ends up in emergency surgery. He ends up with 15 IV doses of antibiotic across five days. And right after his emergency surgery, the doctor pulled me aside. He said, I don't want Max to hear this. I don't want him to panic. But I'm going to lose it. Sorry. <laughs> when you brought Max to the doors yesterday, he was 12 hours from dying. His kidneys had infected. It had gone septic. It was going through the other systems inside of him. And he was 12 hours from dying. The cool thing I can tell you right now is that uh, Max is doing really well. He had a second surgery. We got a little bit of follow-up, but he's now healthy and walking around and has actually done all the work he had to do to get enrolled in some online college courses to finish his college degree. So Max now has a future. And it's so awesome. The, the prayer I pray over and over and over again is, God, let me be at the right place at the right time to do your work. And Max was definitely, definitely the right place at the right time. Oh, the sixth and final category. I don't know your opinions on this, so some of you may disagree, but uh, again, I go where God leads me. From time to time, my outdoor friends get arrested and end up in jail, and I go to visit them in jail. I am a pastor of record with the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, and that gives me the right to walk into either of the jails, write down anyone's name, and I get to visit them. Don't have to be on their visiting list, doesn't count against them for their visits that week, and they give me a key. And when I go into that little three-by-three three room with a telephone and a big piece of glass, I can turn off the recording devices. Our conversation is private. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. And oh my goodness, do they talk. Uh, it's a really, really beautiful thing. The, the Bible talks about um, God granting us favor. Just showing up in the jail is instant favor. So I'll tell you a quick story that uh, I kind of knew that, and then when this happened, okay, this is a God thing. I need to keep doing this. Uh, we had a guy who was coming to our youth event, and that, that youth event died with COVID. We're trying to revive it now, but he used to come, and I'd seen him, kind of said, hi, how you doing? But we'd never had a real conversation, so I kind of barely knew him. And I found out he'd been arrested, and honestly, I wasn't going to go visit him. I have a lot of people in the jails. It takes a lot of time to visit them. I can only go so far during the week. But as I was praying through my week, I heard that still small voice say, you need to visit this guy. And the answer is yes, right? So the next day, I go down to the jail. I write down his name. And honestly, in the back of my head, I'm like, he barely knows me. He could literally walk around the corner and say, oh, heck no, and turn around and walk back into the jail. I wasn't sure if he's even going to talk to me. So I sit down. I turn off the recording devices. I wait for him to show up. And he comes around the corner, and he stops. And he looks at me, recognizes me, and a single tear goes down his face. And we get on the telephone, and I'm like, dude, what was that? I've never, no one's ever, what was that? He said, he said, this is the 12th time I've been arrested. He's 26 or 7 at the time. This is the 12th time I've been arrested. No one's ever written to me. No one's ever answered my phone calls from the jail. And until today, no one but a lawyer has ever visited me. The kingdom of God got instant credit in this guy's eyes before I said a word on that telephone, just because I was there. He knows I'm a pastor. He knows I'm a Christian. You came to visit me in jail? 
I, I could do a ministry of just that. <laughs> It'd actually be kind of interesting, but I could do a ministry of just that. So if my friends are in jail, I go and visit them. Anybody recognize what I just did? We deliver food, we deliver water, we welcome in the stranger, we provide clothing, we help the sick, we help those in prison. The most quoted piece of scripture, if you go into a day center or a feed or a treatment center, the most, most commonly quoted piece of scripture up on the walls is Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. And verse 35 and 36 of that is, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. Just by saying yes to God, we were doing all those things. Not because it was a checklist, not to pat ourselves on the back, but literally because if you say yes, God, before he even asks, those are the kind of places you're going to go. Now I'm going to say something that's a little bit challenging, but that's not enough. Yes, that's a Bible passage, a parable about who gets into heaven and who doesn't, and that should be pretty serious, but it's not enough. Because there are government agencies that do those things, for example, totally secular. And in most of those operations, you come up to a desk, they give you something, and they say, next, and you're on your way. We can't just do these things and be done. We have to do these things within what God wants, which is relationship, community. Church is a community, a family. If we don't embody these things, they're just a wisp of wind. They're just a flash in the pan. They're just, here's your sandwich and goodbye. We need to be face-to-face -face with people. This needs to be real. So let me give you a couple examples of face-to-face -face and real and what this can mean just from stories from what we do. So I told you we go on a camp run and a coffee run. We go out to our people. We don't just hand them stuff and leave. Uh, I do a couple of crazy things. For example, if the person is sitting on the sidewalk when I come up to them, I'll kneel down or I'll sit down. I want to be eye to eye with them. I don't want to be Mr. Six Foot Three reaching down with something. I don't want to be, hi, I'm the guy with all the stuff and I'm here to fix broken you. I want to be, you're my brother, you're my sister. I'm glad I, I'm glad I caught you this morning. Let's talk. If you want to talk, you don't have to. I have a five second thing I say when I'm on coffee run, because people ask, why are you doing this? It's one of my favorite coffee run spots right there. People say, why are you doing this? And I'll give a five second answer if they want to talk more, great. If not, I've said my piece. My five second answer is, I'm chasing after this guy named Jesus, and I think this is what he'd do on a Wednesday morning. People love that, <laughs> and it's true. So one of the coffee runs, um, I got up and I didn't have any volunteers. They had to do other things that morning. So I asked one of my friends from the streets, will you help me with coffee run? And he kind of said, well, okay, you've helped me a lot. I should help you. But he said, Bruce, don't take this personally. I'm, I'm going to help you, but you're not making a difference. A cup of coffee, come on. You're not making a difference. Instead of being defensive, I said, okay, let's go do this thing. So we're out walking the streets. We're handing out coffee and hot chocolate. We get to this group under a bridge. There's like nine of them. The last one is a woman about his age. And as we're about to leave the whole group, I say, have a great day. She looks right at him. I'm the one who spoke. 
She looks right at him in the eyes and says, I will now. I will now. And my friend had enough integrity. He waited till we were out of earshot, but he had enough integrity to turn to me and go, fine, you win. You're making a difference. <laughs> but what was the difference? The difference wasn't a cup of coffee. He, my friend is right. One, cough of, one cup of coffee a month doesn't make a difference. What made the difference? Why did she say, I will now? We care. We came out on a cold morning just to be there to give this to her. We treated her as an equal, talked to her as an equal, and said, have a great day. That made a difference. That can make a difference. Um, okay. The prisons. This, is, this will be the edgiest part of everything I say today. I don't know if the news got out here. It was all over Portland. But last summer, one of my friends had been going downhill for months. The lawyer told me a phrase I'd never heard before. He was in what's called a meth psychosis, where he was literally out of his mind because of how much meth he had taken over the months. And, within, and that is not, this is not an excuse. It's only an explanation. Within that meth psychosis, he thought he heard someone say something and freaked out and ended up beating up two 80-year-olds. One of them actually died from his injuries. So he's in jail, and he's going to prison. And he's a murderer. Well, I mean, he hasn't been convicted yet. We've got to be careful, right? But it's on video from two different angles. So I want you to remember, before I tell you what I said to him when I went to visit him, I want you to remember that Moses, one of our heroes of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, there's the top five from the Old Testament. Moses killed a man with his own two hands, tried to bury him in the sand so no one would know. When people knew anyway, he ran from the law left the country, fled as a fugitive. Moses, out of a million possible people, was chosen by God to lead Israel out of Egypt. A murderer. So with that in the back of my mind, I went to visit Kiefer. I can use his name because it was all over the news. <laughs> with that in mind, I went to visit Kiefer. And he's been in jail long enough now that he's out of the meth psychosis, back to the normal Kiefer we used to know and love. And I said, Kiefer, you've talked to me about God and your belief in God. You've also told me about these voices in your head that do all kinds of horrible, say all kinds of horrible things. I said, Kiefer, for the next couple years, next however many years, you're going to be told where you can be, what you can do, and what you can't do. That's prison life. You have years of that in front of you. Only you get to decide what kind of person you are while that's happening. You have the power to get angry, lash out, get into fights, spend a lot of time in solitary confinement. People do that. You have the ability to walk around with a huge black cloud over you, get really depressed, don't talk to anybody, stare at the floor. People do that too. You also have the power to dive into the Word of God, to meet and talk with me and then the chaplain and whoever else. You could literally become not only a man of God in the prison, but you'll have 24-7 access to a group I can only visit three hours at a time. You could literally become a pastor, a servant of the kingdom, in the prison. The choice is up to you. He's still chewing on that. But he said, I'm the only person in his life right now who's painting any kind of hope. Instead of just, bad person, not going to talk to you, you're going to be thrown away. That's like the ultimate example of face-to-face, -face, embodying what God is already doing, delivering words of God, of hope, of good news. 
So let me tell you two more stories because I want to end on that one. <laughs> Same person, three years apart, two different stories. And I don't get to use this guy's name, but I can tell the story. When he was about 27, I'd already been working for them for a little while. He lived in a tent by the side of the freeway. And he knew I was sleeping at the church on Tuesday nights because at the time we had burritos on Tuesday night and coffee run on Wednesday morning. And if I drove home and drove back, I didn't even see my wife and all I did was sleep. So I just sleep downtown. So he bangs on the door of the church. Gets me up and I come out and I'm like, what's going on? And this guy is a fighter. I've never heard of him losing a fight. He's smart, he's fast, and he's tough. And he spent 30 minutes crying on my shoulder and soaking my shirt. And so I said, what's going on? What's going on? Well, the girlfriend was breaking up from him, with him. All kinds of stuff was involved. There was some cheating. There was some drugs. Blah, 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 blah. But, but I just, I love her, and I don't want this to happen. And I don't know how to get it. And she's gone and, and just cried his eyes out for 30 minutes. Finally dried up. The, the tears turned off the faucet. And I said to my friend, you know what? I don't see a moment of meekness right now. I see your character shining through. You're a man who cares. Cares about your girlfriend, loves your girlfriend, doesn't want this to happen, wants to figure out a way to fix it. That's a testament to your character. You're a good man. <laughs> Tears all over again. Soaks the other side of my shirt for 10 minutes. <laughs> and when he gets done with this one, I'm like, what, what? That was a compliment. What was that all about? And he says, I'm 27 years old. You are the first person who has ever said that to me. You're a good man. And I'm thinking in my mind, mom, dad, older brother, girlfriend, other girlfriends. Really? I'm the first? So again, I could probably do a whole ministry of just walking the streets, finding one thing I can point to that someone does or says and say, hey, you're a good woman. That's amazing. You're a good man. I saw what you just did. That alone would be a ministry of the kingdom. And I'm happy to do that. So same guy three years later, um, beautiful sunny day, we're in the back of the church and outside, back of the, outside the back of the church. And as we're talking, I'm realizing something is going on. He's very emotional, he's very down. What's going on? And he's telling me that he had made a solemn vow with himself, those are his words, a solemn vow to be off the streets before he turned 30. He just turned 30. Still in that same tent, still in that same piece of grass. And he was tearing himself apart over it. And I'm starting to think, do we need someone to be with him tonight? Do I need to ask him if I can hold on to his weapons for a couple days? What's, how is this gonna go down? And as we're talking, someone rattles the gate. Bruce, 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 I need, okay, I said, I said to my friend, give me one minute. I will tell this person, to come back later. Give me one minute. Walk over the gate, Bruce, I need, I need. I hear you, I hear you. Got something really important going on here. Let me come find you in your camp as soon as I'm free. But, but I need, I hear you. Totally valid need, I hear you. I will come and find you as soon as I can. I need to do this. And the person walks away and I turn around and my friend has left. Went out the other side. And I'm kind of freaking out. And I walk up to where we had been sitting and he must have had a marker, permanent marker in his pocket because he wrote on the sidewalk. Sorry, can't do this anymore. Goodbye, Bruce. I was making phone calls. I was trying to figure out where he was. I was trying to get people to come and help me find him. I was totally freaking out. I was praying up a storm. 
Half an hour, I haven't got a hold of very many people, I don't have a plan yet. Half an hour later, he walks back. And I was about to jump up and, and just so glad he goes, puts out his hand, says, wait, I just want to tell you one thing. I just spent the last 20 minutes on top of the Hawthorne Bridge and I was totally ready to throw my life away. But as I was sitting there, the voice in my head was saying, nobody cares about you. And I realized one person cares about me. Bruce cares about me. So while I was willing to throw my life away, as far as I was concerned, I wasn't willing to hurt you by doing that. So I came back. He is no longer downtown. He was inside for a while, didn't work out for various reasons. He's now living up by the Columbia River, fishing out of his canoe, trying to make a difference in his life, staying away from all the drama downtown. Um, he's still with us. That's the power of saying, Lord, before you even ask, the answer is yes. I will do these things. I will go into these places. Um, there's a downtown pastors association. I don't know why they accept me. They all have big stone buildings and multi-million dollar endowments and staff and secretaries. And I just walk the streets and somehow they accept me as another downtown pastor. Uh, but we like to tease each other. And one of the things they keep telling me is, you think like you're not, you're not a full pastor because you don't have all this, all this stuff like we have. They tell me, they don't have the courage to just walk into a camp and say hi to people. They barely have the courage to go outside to the sidewalk outside the church and say, can you please not camp right here? We're about to have Sunday service. So we have this mutual admiration society where I love what they're doing and sometimes wish I was there and they love what I'm doing and have no desire to be where I am. <laughs> but they pat me on the back and say, you're doing great stuff and keep doing it. So this is, this is the stuff that I do. It's five days a week, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. As I was getting in my car to drive here yesterday, I got a message. One of my friends who was indoors trying to take care of his grandma, the house burned to the ground and he didn't know what was gonna happen. So we've been messaging, of course I'm now 400 miles away, but we've been messaging, he got a place for last night, he's got a place for tonight, we're gonna figure this out. Some days, it's all seven days of the week. <laughs> it just works out that way. Those are the stories I wanted to tell you. There were some Bible verses along the way. I don't know if you caught them, some of those 600 verses. And if it was just up to me, I would stop right here and say, thank you, I love being here, I love talking to you. I have to do one more thing, and it's the part of my job I hate the most. I would rather be walking into camps full of strangers with knives. The only way I can do what I do is when people support me. I can't be face-to-face -face with my friends unless there's a face on the street with my friends. And I took a leap of faith last year because one of my full-time people, one of my half, two of my half-time people, full-time equivalent, uh, they left to do other things. And I hired from them from the street to take their place. So I now have a coworker who has been on the streets for years who is way smarter than I am. And we can teach each other but he can't raise his own support. He doesn't have a support network. That's why he's on the street. <laughs> so there's a hole in the budget. The thing I need, the thing I really need to keep doing these things, the thing that would be able to be to come back here in two or three years and tell you a whole new batch of stories is people willing to say, you know what, every month I'm gonna give you this much money, budget it out wisely, make a stretch, keep doing what you're doing. So I have to stand up here and ask you for that so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. I suppose every missionary that stands up here asks for that, but
If you're at all compelled, if God is at all leading you, um, PayPal can work, through the church can work, directly divorce can work, um, Jamie or I or Janice can give you addresses and ability to set that up, but I would love to have your support to keep being on the streets of Portland, being face-to-face -face with my outdoor friends. Thank you so much for your time. No, we're not posing. I was trying to set the time, and oh. you're so much taller than me. <laughs> Quick. We're the same height in the kingdom. I don't know. We'll see about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, so we wanted to take an offering this morning, and again, we don't have a basket to pass, and so what we are going to do... Julie, could you get a basket to put back there for me? Thank you. I just saw her walking. So we will have a basket back there. We're going to have a tie in sodas, and you're just going to have a basket in the back. If you want to have a cash or check that you want to give today, you're welcome to drop it in there to support Bruce and the ministry of Home PDX. If you want to do something longer term, which I really encourage you to do, please come talk to me or to, to Pastor Janice, and we can help you set up something through the church, and we will send it, or again, directly to Bruce. Um, and, or you can text to give right now, 84321, that you put an amount in the text and then the word go, G-O. Uh, we wanted to keep it simple and short, so just add go to the amount, and that will go into a fund, and we'll pass it on directly to Bruce. Now, what Bruce didn't tell you is that it's been a rough year since COVID, and, and he called a little while ago, and he said, we might have to close the doors not very long from now. And so the church, we stepped up, and the, the council were like, we dug around in the budget, and we found some extra cash to send him, and it helped, but it's not enough. And so we're asking you to ask God what it is that he is asking you to give and how you can be involved with this ministry. Um, so ask the Lord. We're going to pray for that, and then we'll pray, and we'll do our usual closing. We like to close by singing the doxology, um, really old school. I've had people recently say we don't sing hymns, but we sing the doxology every Sunday. It's a hymn. Just saying. <laughs> I got you, Gary. It's a hymn. And uh, then we bless everybody. And so you can stand there, and I'll, we'll, does that sound good? All right, so let's pray for Bruce. And uh, would somebody, this is kind of weird, but does anybody have something on their heart? They just want to pray for Bruce? You don't have to, but does anybody want to? Okay, no, we'll give it a no. It's a, it's My biggest prayer request is always that whatever holy appointment God has set up, I would be there for it. Yeah, and maybe we'll pray that for us too. All right, so Father, we thank you for Brother Bruce, and we thank you for the ministry of Home PDX. Um, God, even before Home PDX was a thing and before Bruce even thought of ever working on the street, he had said yes to you, and this is where it's led him. Um, God, we thank you that he said yes long ago. We thank you for all the work that went into his heart um, to bring him to that yes, the sovereign story of your Holy Spirit working in him and in the lives of many other people. God, we know that any work that happens in this world, that any good and perfect work that happens in this world is a result of your spirit at work in us. And we may not ever receive the results, uh, but we trust in you, Jesus, to be working in us. Uh, we pray over Bruce in this ministry. God, we pray for divine appointments. We pray for those moments that Bruce would be at the right place at the right time and that your spirit would be there as well, already working. And it would just, he would be in harmony with your spirit. And God, for this church too, that each of us, not, not a ministry, not a, a sermon, not a song, but individuals, bodies, spirits um, carried around in a, a soul, carried around in a body, God, would be where you ask us to be when, and 
be there when we need to be there and open to what you're doing, Jesus. Open us up to greater and greater uh, moves of your spirit. Open our hearts to what you're doing and help us to love people like you love people. In Jesus' name, amen.